One of the things that I like to really challenge people to do when it comes to change and flourishing and, and, and really challenging our emotional intelligence is to think about the last big change that you faced. Did you feel excited? Maybe some fluttering in, in your stomach when you thought about the potential? Or did you feel dread? Did, did you feel emptiness or heaviness in your chest or your core? Did you try to jump in? and learn all you could about this big change? Or did you shut down and maybe start complaining to, to your coworkers? Reflecting on your past reactions or behaviors can help us to pinpoint the source or the trigger of a certain emotion. And then we can anticipate and plan for similar events in the future. You're listening to Becoming Wildly Resilient, Brought to you by University of Kentucky Human Resources, Health and Wellness. In this series, we'll explore a variety of well-being topics with experts from the university community in physical, emotional, nutritional, and financial health. Join us, and together we'll discover how we can thrive at work, home, and beyond. Well, hello there, listener. So glad you're joining me for another episode of Becoming Wildly Resilient. I'm your host, Jacob Hester, and that voice you heard at the beginning is my guest, Audrey Bachman. Audrey is a training specialist senior with HR Training and Development. She's earned master's degrees in communication sciences and public health with a focus on management and policy. Audrey is also a certified coach and facilitator of Clifton Strengths, DISC, and Myers-Briggs Personality Assessments. In this episode, we're diving into emotional intelligence, which is a concept we've been building to over the course of many of our past episodes. In this conversation, you'll learn about the key skills that make up emotional intelligence, the benefits of emotional intelligence, how emotional intelligence shows up in our personal and professional lives, and how we can flex or develop our emotional intelligence both individually and collectively. We also share some personal examples of how we've gotten curious about and grown our own emotional intelligence. Before we jump into the episode, though, if you like what you've been hearing or this is the first time joining, I want to give you a quick reminder to hit the follow button wherever you may be listening. That way you won't miss any future episodes, including an upcoming three-part series around finding true fun. And now, here's my conversation with Audrey. Welcome, Audrey. Glad to have you on the show. Thank you for welcoming me, Jacob. I'm excited to chat with you and our listeners. Yeah. So to start, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and the work that you do for training and development? Of course. Yeah. So I grew up in Eastern Kentucky and I now live in Central Kentucky with my husband and our two dogs and a cat. Uh, I have several interests and hobbies uh, like cooking. I've uh, been really into identifying plants and animals as of late. I really like exercising. I have a, sort of a natural inclination to learning new things. And, and that's a big reason why I was drawn professionally to learning and development. Uh, in my role, I work with a team to design and deliver training programs that boost professional uh, and, and leadership skills kind of generally. I also work a lot um, individually consulting with groups and teams to help them understand their unique talents and support a strengths-based culture. One of my favorite things about my job is helping folks to understand their unique contribution and how they may maximize potential in the ways that make sense for them and their goals. 
Yeah, that's great. You'll be a great guest for today's topic on emotional intelligence for sure. Um, and it sounds like your self-care bank um, is pretty full too. Um, you mentioned quite a few different activities there that you've really gotten into um, and enjoy. And those are less traditional sometimes um, that the ways that we think about self-care and things like that too, which has been a pretty big theme of of the show. So I'm glad you included some, some ideas there and some different um, ways that you kind of take care of yourself and continue to learn and grow too. And so to keep our energy going from the 31 days of gratitude challenge that we just wrapped up as well, um, can you tell us something that you've been grateful for recently, both personally and professionally? Yeah, of, of course. Uh, and w one of the things that I'm grateful for, and, and I feel like no matter the day you would have asked this question, I probably would have answered similarly. Um, I'm grateful for my family and my home. Um, they provide the love, support, and protection that's really instrumental to my well-being, uh, th those things are, are so key for me. Uh, professionally, I'm, I'm really grateful for my education. Since I gained access to higher education, my worldview has uh, been fundamentally expanded. And because of that, I feel as though I'm closer to my core purpose and, and values than I've ever been. And, and I look forward to even more learning opportunities in the future. So grateful for when those come along. Yeah, I mean, having two master's degrees is not terribly common either, uh, which is really, really interesting that you pursued them in those different areas too with communication science um, and public health management and policy. So that's really, really interesting that you combine these two things. And I've, I've actually considered doing the same thing to continue to learn and grow and that sort of thing and better my skills too. All right. So let's talk about emotional intelligence. Um, we are emotional creatures. It's literally wired into our brains. Uh, we've talked about emotions quite a bit throughout this show, and we've definitely talked about some of the pieces of emotional intelligence, but we really haven't sort of defined emotional intelligence and talked about it specifically. Um, so I guess really to start, let's start with a basic definition of emotional intelligence. Um, can you maybe give us a formal description and then maybe how you would describe it? Yeah, absolutely. So first, uh, before we really dig into emotional intelligence, it's important to know that it's abbreviated differently by different folks. Uh, some folks say EI when they refer to emotional intelligence, and some people say EQ. So if I say EI or EQ, know that I mean the same thing. We use EQ on, on my team, so I may say it more often in that way. Uh, but uh, the definition of, of EQ will vary based on who's doing doing the measuring, uh, but two psychologists named Salovey and Meyer were really the original theorists of EQ, and they explained uh, EQ as, as this, the ability to monitor one's own and others' feelings and emotions, to discriminate among them, and use this information to guide one to guide one's thinking and action. So uh, that, that's a, a long way to say that emotional intelligence is basically about how we use our emotions in our daily life. At its core, emotional intelligence is the ability to understand and manage your own emotions, as well as how you react and respond to, or maybe choose not to respond to the emotions of those around you. Higher EQ does come to some folks a bit more naturally. However, EQ can be learned and improved with practice, which is great news for all of us. Yeah. And I think a key feature of EQ is the self and others. And that's something that we'll, we'll dive into here in a, here in a bit as well. But what are some of the key elements of emotional intelligence? 
Yeah, so that's a great question. And I'll try to be as clear as possible, because there are a lot of skills that oscillate around EQ. So I'm going to try to be specific, but there are four primary skills that constitute EQ that fall into two competencies. And we call these competencies personal and social competence. So I'm going to break these down and, and talk about the skills that kind of live within them. Personal competence is made up of your self-awareness and your self-management skills. So these skills impact your ability to stay aware of your emotions and manage your behavior and your tendencies in light of those emotions. While social competence is made up of your social awareness and your relationship management skills. These skills are going to impact your ability to understand other people's moods, behaviors, and motives in order to hopefully improve the the quality of your relationships. In Daniel Goleman's original conception, which has been adopted and modified by a lot of people, uh, he included other skills like motivation and empathy, as an example. The four-part conception that we use on my team, it sort of subsumes some of these concepts in an effort to simplify our efforts for professional development. So it's, it's trying to kind of break it down into uh, fewer boxes so that we're able to really hone in on the skills that we want to develop. Um, in, in other words, there are many EI skills in which you might want to pursue development, and it's not necessarily one size fits all. So those are the, the four primary skills that fall within those two areas of competence, but there can be a lot more that's kind of peppered throughout those four skills. And so when you talk about these four skills, are they like hierarchical or are they just kind of individual skills by themselves that all make up emotional intelligence? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I would say that they are not hierarchical. However, um, I, in my personal life, I really feel as though that self-management skill is, is really at the core. Understanding your own emotions is so essential to some of those other functions. So I would say in development efforts that focusing on that one first makes sense. However, they all come together and oscillate. And sometimes it's, it's difficult to put the things that we do squarely into one of those four boxes. Sometimes the things that we do as we work and play can fall into multiple uh, of those skills. So our social awareness and our relationship management can come together in, in that in that moment that we're interacting with family members. Um, so not hierarchical, definitely related, but something that I really encourage folks to think about for themselves and, and, and how they like to categorize that, if that makes sense. Sense. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like they kind of lead to each other and there's arrows going different directions and connecting all four of these pieces together to, again, kind of encompass all of emotional intelligence. Um, but you mentioned EQ um, and using that term. So how does this differ from IQ? That is a great question. Uh, a lot of folks, uh, they, they kind of called emotional intelligence EQ because it was a way, kind of a play on intelligence or IQ. So Intelligence or uh, the intelligence quotient refers to your ability to learn. And that ability to learn is something that's going to remain stable throughout your lifetime. So if I measure my IQ as a young person, that's going to stay the same. So that's really your propensity for learning when we think about IQ. So you also mentioned that you, it's something that could be measured um, similar to intelligence. How do how do we measure that? And what are some of the like signs of an emotionally intelligent person? 
Yeah, so EI is certainly measurable. Um, you know, it, it's really interesting for me, you know, as someone who has um, really looked into emotions and how they show up. Emotions are very complicated. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. There is a lot of challenge that folks experience in trying to measure certain emotions because we know that emotions aren't static. They can change really quickly. They can be combined with other emotions. So the emotional experience on an individual kind of human level is something that can be very challenging to measure. But as the folks work to to really think about this EI skill, uh, they really focused in on how do we measure this in, in a meaningful way. And there are many different entities that provide assessments of, of EI or EQ, and they also provide helpful tools for planning your personal EI development journey as well too. So for example, my team uses some resources from the Talent Smart Group, and they offer an assessment that's coupled with a guidebook, which is really helpful, called Emotional Intelligence 2.0. We use that quite a bit on, on my team. I've used this tool personally for my own development, and, and I, I really enjoyed this tool because there's an option to retake the assessment to see how your skills have changed following a development period. So essentially, you'll take this assessment, it'll give you a score in one of these four areas, and it'll give you a suggestion on which score uh, needs more focus, but it's, it's up to you to, to really choose. And they recommend choosing that one skill at a time and having some specific parameters and strategies planned out to guide you through development. Uh, in, in my development journey specifically, I chose to focus on self-awareness based on my assessment score. Um, of the four scores, my self-awareness was the lowest. Um, so what I did was I spent six months implementing a variety of strategies and I saw improvement in the data as, as well as in practice. And in thinking about practice and, and how we see emotional intelligence really show up, um, it, it shows up everywhere. It shows up in so many different uh, things that we do, both personally and professionally. Um, it shows up in the way that we confide in others, the way we build relationships, our communication style. Um, it, it's really interesting to pursue a development journey because you can start to see all of the different ways that emotion is impacting some of the work that you do. And it's a really cool journey uh, to, to, to be on to see that, that improvement. Yeah, I'm actually curious to, to take it. I haven't done an assessment on emotional intelligence. I've sat in a couple of trainings. Actually, I sat in one of um, your all's trainings before on emotional intelligence. So I, I have a little bit of knowledge on on emotional intelligence, but I didn't do, uh, I don't think I did a quiz or anything like that. So I'm interested to, to see where mine is. I think if I had to take a guess on where mine fell, um, I, I probably could use the self-management um, would be my area of focus uh, to continue to grow and learn too, um, which kind of brings up another point related to that is, is there like a ceiling to emotional intelligence? Like, is there like a cap for people um, or is it sort of always changing? Yeah, that, that's an excellent question. And the first thing that I thought about when you, you asked me that question was uh, I had an experience years ago where I worked with an individual and 
they got their scores uh, from the, the EQ assessment, and they weren't necessarily uh, happy <laughs> about what those, those scores looked like, right? Um, so whenever they were thinking about this, uh, they were very much thinking about it as something as a detriment, something that they didn't have. And this person individually felt like their scores should be should be much higher and inevitably took the assessment again and, and kind of gamed the assessment uh, to, to get those answers to where they thought that it needed to be. And it, it's, it's just a really interesting thing that in, in, in my opinion, this is such a personal endeavor, but also there is really no ceiling. Um, you know, over our lives and our experiences, we change. We change. And many times we experience a lot of growth through that change. And as we grow, our emotions are coming along for the ride. So I always say that learning is lifelong, even when it comes to EQ. And we can develop our skills highly, but that doesn't mean that we can't use that to support understanding in, in other areas and other ways as well. So I would say there's no limit. Uh, there there can be folks that are, are very skilled and very highly skilled um, that uh, may want to still pursue development in other ways, because um, EQ is something that even if you're really good at it, it can help supplement other skills as well, too. So as you get more advanced in your knowledge of EQ, you can always do um, development in terms of, okay, I'm really great at relationship management. Now, how can I use that more strategically in my leadership practice? So we can kind of marry development efforts in many ways, even if we are highly skilled in some of those areas. And I feel like, too, it's probably like a it's probably like a continuum and also dependent upon the scenario or the situation, too. You may be really strong um, with a, a certain scenario or a certain type of person um, and then you have you struggle in other areas. And so, I, I mean, I feel like you could be highly emotional, intelligent in, in one way, but um, needing some attention in another way. And, I, and like you said, it, it can definitely change over time um, as we change. Um, but yeah, and uh, I see the connection to with like mindfulness, which is something we talk about quite a bit on here, and which again is sort of that big buzzwordy type of thing. But mindfulness really is awareness, um, and so that two of those pieces you've talked about were self awareness and social awareness, and that that awareness and kind of looking inward and looking outward. Those are mindfulness. So, uh, like I said, we've kind of talked about this concept in a way in the past, but we've just not really defined it in this way. Um, so I'm, I'm actually kind of excited to dive into each of these. Um, I know they're all interconnected, but uh, for the purposes of this, we'll kind of dive into sort of that self bucket um, and then we'll dive into that social bucket as well. But how does emotional intelligence help us embrace change and flourish? Yeah, absolutely. And and I really like that connection with mindfulness and, and the levels of awareness within EQ. I think that, again, it's showing that there are a lot of skills that are very interconnected. And, and even as you develop and get more skilled, there's more to learn and more room to grow. But when we think about embracing change and flourishing, we know that that process is going to vary depending on the person. Some folks do really well with change. 
Others would rather everything stay the same forever and always, and, and some people land somewhere in between. So if we want to consider how our emotional intelligence might influence this, it's important to remember the skills that are associated with, with personal competence. So that self-awareness, that ability to accurately perceive your emotions in the moment and understand your tendencies across situations. And then the self-management and, and that thing that happens when you choose or choose not to act in light of those emotions. So one of the things that I like to really challenge people to do when it comes to change and flourishing and, and, and really challenging our emotional intelligence is to think about the last big change that you faced. Did you feel excited? Maybe some fluttering in, in your stomach when you thought about the potential? Or did you feel dread? Did, did you feel emptiness or heaviness in your chest or your core? Did you try to jump in and learn all you could about this big change? Or did you shut down and maybe start complaining to, to your coworkers? Reflecting on your past reactions or behaviors can help us to pinpoint the source or the trigger of a certain emotion. And then we can anticipate and plan for similar events in the future. So again, really flexing that mindfulness here in this area of, of awareness in a way that helps to support our self-management. And, you know, that self-management skill is going to be really key when it comes to seeing the things that you're doing, right? Some of those questions that I ask, what's your response? And again, if we are aware of how we typically respond in certain situations, that's a great place to be because we can start to plan for, you know, maybe we make a change, maybe we lean in a little bit closer to what it is that we're doing now. And again, looks different for different people. Yeah, I think that's important that you noted that it can happen afterwards as well. It doesn't have to be necessarily in the moment, um, especially when you're thinking about how did I respond to this or what, what were my emotions that is really difficult to do in the moment um, to really kind of slow yourself down. That's a, that's a skill in and of itself um, to slow down and look at like, this is what I'm feeling and then digging further and finding out like, this is what this means. This is what my emotion is telling me. Um, Cause we've talked about it before on, on here too, that like our emotions are really, they're just messengers. Um, they're, they're not things that you necessarily control. They're telling you something. Um, and that may be that like a need is not being met um, or needs to be met in a different way. And so the further you can kind of dig into that, um, sometimes that's going to take you kind of looking back so that you can move forward. Um, and that's a kind of a concept that we've talked about as well is like using the present moment to look back so that you can move forward. And, and that's how like the timeline um, is connected together a little bit too. But thinking about like emotional intelligence as well, how does this like correlate with or possibly predict our performance, say at like work? Yeah, that's an excellent question. There have been many studies over the years since Goldman's original conception in the early 90s, finding positive associations between EI and a lot of different variables. So that means that emotional intelligence is positively associated with performance, uh, job satisfaction. Uh, there's so many other variables that have been studied across a variety of industries. Uh, one example that we share a lot in my work is from the Talent Smart Group, and they have data that shows that top performers typically have high emotional intelligence. And they also typically make more money on average than their counterparts with lower EQ. And this makes a lot of sense since we use EQ so much in our daily work. EQ can help us stay 
flexible and optimistic during times of change, as we just talked about. It can help us to listen actively and respectfully during disagreements. And it can also help us to develop others through feedback and guidance. And I want to say that this is especially true for leaders, calling all leaders out there. Um, Goldman discovered that in his research on what he termed primal leadership, um, he discovered that a leader's mood often impacts bottom line performance indicators more than any other variable. And this is really because of the phenomenon called emotional contagion. Emotional contagion. In shared environments, emotions are contagious for better or worse. A bad mood can spread quickly. And if there's a pattern of this, it can create a negative workplace climate. And the same is true for a positive mood as well. So um, EQ predicts a lot of things, but it's especially interesting when we're looking at the EQ of leaders and how it impacts the dynamics of groups. I know there's some debate about like a dark side potentially to emotional intelligence as well. So can you maybe speak to that a little bit? Are there like potential pitfalls to becoming more emotionally intelligent? I'm so glad that we're exploring the dark side of emotional intelligence today. Um, you know, I uh, have been on a mission to end my own toxic positivity uh, as of late, and I'm, I've, I'm hearing from other folks that they're on the same journey there. So, you know, looking at kind of the darker side of this is especially important because it can give us a balanced perspective, right? It can give us a balanced perspective. And for me personally, helps me to feel a little bit less overwhelmed when I encounter certain situations. So there are a couple of key points that I want to speak to when it comes to the, the dark side uh, of this. And it's really interesting that in my communication studies, we talk about the dark side of interpersonal communication as it relates to a lot of things. <laughs> so, um, EQ is just a slice of, of that dark side. But the, the first point that I want to really land on is what I often refer to as the thing I cannot unsee. <laughs> and it kind of sounds weird. What? Uh, the thing you cannot unsee. Um, my personal journey is one of great development. So in other words, I've learned and unlearned a lot of things on my journey to speak with you today. My baseline abilities and skills, as well as my natural talents, have undergone a considerable deal of development and healing over the past decade. And something that I started to notice was the more I learned about my personality and my emotional intelligence, the more I noticed a lack of awareness or skill gaps in, in others. It can be really frustrating because developing EI is a personal endeavor. And some folks just aren't tuning into the podcast, if you know what I mean. Um, they haven't done the work or they aren't willing to. And that's tough, especially if you really care about that person or if you have to work with them. But the reality is, is that we can't do that work for them or force them into it. We have to find ways to support our well-being in light of their decisions. And hopefully we can identify strategies that help us to use our emotional energy in positive and productive ways. For example, if it's important to you that the other person understands how you feel, there's no point in playing a silent game or waiting to see if they'll figure it out. If they have low EQ, they won't. You may have to flex your style and communicate more directly in, the, in this case, but that's a personal decision that you'll have to make in light of these relationship dynamics. The second 
point that I want to touch on related to the dark side is that there are folks out there who strategically use their knowledge of emotions to achieve self-serving goals. There's research to support that those with certain narcissistic or what they call Machiavellian traits use their EQ for manipulation. These folks can be highly skilled in using communication to um, make good first impressions, use social awareness to a strategic advantage. They're more likely to engage in incivility, like embarrassing somebody on purpose. And if this is the case, the best tool we have is our own emotional intelligence. The more we learn about ourselves, the more capable we are of accurately perceiving other people's abilities of persuasion or manipulation, if that's the case. In other words, through our own EQ development, we can build a type of warning system that identifies that red flag worthy behavior. And through this, we can also fortify our warning system with a planned response for that questionable behavior questionable behavior. So we can really think about as we develop those EQ skills, what are some strategies I can put in my back pocket for those types of instances where I am dealing with someone who I suspect is using their EQ knowledge, uh, not for, for good, but, but for evil. Yeah. And I would think too, like if you, if you were properly applying it, the self-awareness piece, <laughs> you would kind of understand like, I'm not, I'm not really doing what I should be doing with this. Um, and I imagine like that, the rarity of that, like, it's not to say that like anyone who's getting more emotionally intelligent is like somehow becoming this like evil doctor <laughs> or whatever. Um, I feel like it, it, it's, it's relatively rare and there's definitely the utility in all of us moving forward with our emotional intelligence. Um, but you can hear in that example, the interplay between them as well. Um, and how they are so connected to each other. They like, you're controlling what you can control, which is your self-confidence and personal confidence. Um, but you're using something like social awareness um, and potentially relationship management by controlling what you can control. So you can see how these pieces all sort of connect together. And I think that was a really good example of that. Um, that got pulled out of like talking about potential downsides to emotional intelligence if someone is using it in a way that is manipulative or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but something else, as you were talking to, um, I heard a lot of connection to growth mindset. Um, and that like, you, even you talking about your personal, your personal journey and how like you've continued to grow and like your baseline has gone from where it was to where it is now. Um, and seeing any one of these challenges as an opportunity to learn. Um, and even earlier in one of your earlier responses talking about like, if something didn't go the way that you wanted or something like that. And you kind of think about like, what, what was, what was my emotion at the time? How did I feel? And then what does that mean? Um, a lot of that is, is growth mindset as well. It, you're, you're taking this sort of negative experience potentially and turning it into a positive, which I think really aligns and marries well with growth mindset, uh, which your colleague Tommy Leach had, um, we dove into a few episodes ago too. So let's dive a little more into the social competence, um, which, like I said, is kind of an area that we haven't talked about quite as much on the show. We, we've spent a lot of time talking about our own feelings um, and our own emotions and those types of things. But we haven't talked as much about, like, how do we manage that with other people, which is really that second half of emotional intelligence. Um, so broadly, how does emotional intelligence improve our relationships with others, um, whether that be in a work or a personal context? 
That's a great question. Our social awareness and relationship management skills have a tremendous impact in professional and personal contexts. Um, social awareness, again, your ability to accurately recognize or interpret emotions in other people and understand what's occurring with them in that moment. While relationship management is your ability to use your awareness of your own emotions and those of others to manage those interactions successfully. So, you know, in terms of how, how does that show up, right? How does that show up? How does that potentially help us improve our relationships? EQ shows up everywhere. One of my favorite activities to do with groups is to try to map out where EQ is showing up in some of the daily work that they do. And again, a personal endeavor. But for example, we use our emotional understanding to make decisions, to solve problems, to support our communication with others. And in developing your EQ skills, you can improve your ability to communicate in an assertive, respectful, and non-defensive manner, particularly in some of those more challenging situations, such as providing feedback or managing interpersonal conflict. So kind of in the workplace specifically, how does this, how does emotional intelligence show up within groups? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question as well. I've, I've seen it happen a lot in the consulting that I do with leaders. Many times when, um, you know, leaders see a challenge, they'll, they'll reach out. They'll reach out for help and support. And that in of itself is showing a great deal of emotional intelligence. If I, as a leader, am able to say, hey, you know, things aren't really seeming right. The, the vibes are a little bit off here on my team. You know, maybe we used to, to work and collaborate really well together, but this last project, it, it's been kind of touch and go. So in those moments, making that choice to bring in that outside perspective is a great example of, of flexing that EQ. And many times EQ is, is part of kind of the, the, the root cause of that problem as well. It may be a lack of understanding of each other and, and that's due to communication styles, but we're taking it personally. So again, uh, how it shows up is very unique for the individual, but if you kind of sit down and take a look at your major job requirements, as an example, I bet that as you looked at each of those, you could identify some of that emotional labor that you're doing associated with with each of those tasks. So very unique, but it's everywhere, Jacob. It shows up in so many places. I really like how you say flexing emotional intelligence too, kind of like it's a muscle. Um, and I think it's a really good like visual cue to think about how to approach emotional intelligence as well. But it, kind of talking about within groups, do you have any examples of like how that like change has happened and like what the impact has been? Maybe with your work, um, working with leaders around the university? Yeah, I've worked with several groups across UK with EQ training. There are a lot of leaders across campus and our healthcare enterprises that take EQ very seriously. Many of the sessions I've led have been focused on promoting a self-directed journey in EQ development. So many leaders say, hey, I want to provide my group with training. And they voice that emotional intelligence training is something that they're really looking for. And so I give them a way to develop that individually. But I also work with the leader to uh, figure out a way or a strategy to check in and, and really see how that 
development is impacting the workplace specifically. So it's not just a one and done. <laughs> we like to uh, have an investment in those particular requests specifically. Um, however, I have led several sessions with research team to help them prepare for the emotional labor of team science. That's one of the things that I did uh, over the, throughout the pandemic. I worked with some other groups as well, but really thinking about how, sure, we do a lot of technical things as part of our job. When we think about our researchers across campus, our healthcare workers, um, there's a lot of technical savvy that goes into that work, but we really want to make sure that we are discussing the emotional labor that's included in, in that work as well, too, because, you know, we're emotional beings. We can't just be our uh, technical savvy selves all the time. We're going to bring some of that emotion with us. And when we think about working in groups and teams specifically, it can be especially challenging because there may be a presence of high intensity emotions when you've got a group that's meeting a deadline, whew, things can get a little intense. And as a facilitator, I provide an environment for discussion and reflection about how we may manage emotions as a team in a healthy way that works for everyone. And that's something that looks different for each team. It's not a one size fits all, but the important thing and, and where I've seen the most growth is in those spaces where we're having those discussions, we're having that reflection, and we're having those moments where we start to see, oh, I, I, I understand that this behavior may have been interpreted in a different way than I intended. So I really need to think about the impact here a little bit more so than my intent. So a lot of, of growth and work going on around campus. As I said, I've worked with many groups uh, with EQ training specifically, but also how we can marry EQ with, with some other skills as well um, is, is something that I spend a lot of time doing in my work. Yeah. What about like a, a personal example of like a time that you could have flexed EQ a little bit better um, than you did? And what did you learn from it? Yeah, uh, that's a, a, another great question. So many great questions today. I'm constantly, constantly learning about my emotions and how complex they can be. Uh, that's something that uh, I've had some major revelations even here in the last couple of months. Uh, so it's it's a journey, but a, a really a really great example that often comes to mind when I think of how my skills have developed comes from uh, years ago, I worked in the telecommunications industry for about six years. And we know that technology doesn't stay the same. Uh, it changes sometimes overnight. But in that industry, I was not prepared for truly how fast things would move. And at first, I had a lot of emotion related to this pace. I was overwhelmed. I was annoyed. I was angry about how fast things were changing. I found myself saying things like, oh, I just learned this operating system and now they're going to update it. What am I going to do? How am I going to explain this? So many emotions, uh, including frustration and apathy that could have easily turned into resentment. Uh, but I caught myself. Fortunately, I was able to identify the, this, this negative thought pattern that I was having. So having a few uh, emotions that, you know, you feel are, are not necessarily positive, you know, that that's fine. But when 
all of these emotions kind of start to pile up a little bit and you start to notice a pattern, that's when we can get into uh, some, some sticky stuff. So once I realized and once I was able to see this pattern, I did some brainstorming about what I could do to get more comfortable with these constantly changing technologies in a way that um, I didn't have a, 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 an emotional breakdown every time a, a new phone launched, right? Um, I, I, I really tried to brainstorm about, you know, what, what can I do? And so I knew at the time that I have a love for learning. Uh, that's something that's come out uh, in, in many things that I've done over the years. So I'm, I'm thinking, hey, I really uh, can embrace my love for learning here. And what I did was reframe this fast pace of changing tech as a learning opportunity and kind of that growth mindset as, as you called out to a little bit earlier. Um, I even volunteered to be what they called a, a champion for new technologies for one of our store locations. So I was the point person for all the new things, um, just really immersed myself in that, got out of my comfort zone and reframing that experience in a way that made sense to me was difficult in the short term, and it wasn't without obstacles, but it was worth it in the long term. I still use that skill to help me manage change today. I may not be the most adaptable person uh, in the workplace, but I love learning and I use that as a tool to embrace change. And, and sometimes I've even been lucky enough to, to flourish uh, in, in those times as well. Yeah, it sounds like you kind of like connected it to the to your values and the things that you care about. Um, and that was a way to like take something that you typically didn't like, um, especially the the change with it and having to learn something new. And it's like flipping the script and saying, oh, well, I like to learn. So here's an opportunity to learn. Um, and that's a really great way. We've talked about um, that concept before of kind of like reframing what you're looking at um, into something that's a little more positive or, or something that you can grow from um, rather than something that's just like, oh, this is another thing that I have to do. And that, I mean, I think that context um, can happen anywhere, um, whether that is in work or whether that is at home. Um, there, I'm, I'm still learning that lesson today, um, as well with like having a, having a young child in the house now, um, and having to like constantly tell myself that. And I was like, Oh, this is an opportunity to learn because I've not done this before ever. Um, rather than it be like, this is something that's going to stress me out. And like, every time I get a little stressed out, that's, that's sort of my go-to. That's what playing in the back of my head. Um, so that I like can reframe that for myself so that it becomes a positive and something I get to do rather than something that I have to do. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of thinking about like a, an example for me as well. Um, this is really, really recent. Actually, I think this happened probably like eight o'clock at night. Maybe um, we had this knock on the door, which is pretty rare, like doesn't really happen, um, especially not at eight o'clock at night. Like it's already dark. It's a little cold outside. I'm like, why is somebody knocking on our door? Like my neighbors would have just texted me. And so I like, I kind of ignored it for a second and I like did what most people do. And, you know, instead of peeking out the window now, um, cause you got a much better chance of getting caught. I just use like the, the cameras that I have <laughs> set up and I look outside and I'm like, I don't, they were like walking away and I'm like, oh, I guess it wasn't that important. Um, but I like look out and see, I'm start like waving at a car going by and I'm like, oh, this person might actually need some help. Um, and so like I hustle up real quick, get my coat on and go outside and I'm um, trying to see what they, what they needed. And, and they came up to me and it was, I think it was a kid probably like early high school, somewhere in that age, if I had to take a guess. Um, but he was looking for directions. He wasn't really sure where he was. Um, and he was out walking a dog and he, he knew like where he was going, but he didn't know where he was in relation to it. Um, but like, 
he came up and he's like clearly a little agitated. Like I'm out of my comfort zone. Like we're still in a pandemic. Like I have a, an infant inside. Like I, I need to like take care of these things. Um, and he's like, I'm trying to give him directions, which for those who know me know that I'm the worst possible person you could ask for directions because I'm going to explain it six different ways and it's just going to make it confusing, which is something that I didn't think about in the time. Um, but he's like, he kind of has this energy. Like he's clearly like he's, he's kind of lost. Like you can imagine how that like feeling is for him at that time and kind of how he's expressing that. But what that's doing to me is like, I'm like a very skeptical as well because I don't know who he is. Um, I don't know, like, what his motives potentially could be. Um, and like, especially in the pandemic where we've had a lot less like social interaction with people that we don't know. Um, I, I put myself on a little more of the defensive um, and I was polite and I like helped him find it. I like pulled up the the address on my phone and like showed it to him and like gave him the directions. He was literally like a block and a half away. Like he was really close. So in my mind, I'm thinking, He's got enough information to get along on his way. Um, he'll figure it out. But he had like asked me for a ride. And I was like, again, I like, I don't know you. Like we're still in a pandemic. I've got an infant inside. Like I can't, I, I don't feel comfortable doing that. Um, so I kind of like turned him down on that, that offer because I was thinking, oh, I mean, it's literally a block and a half away. You're literally a quarter of a mile from where you need to be. Um, and so I, I kind of send him on his way with the information thinking I sort of did the best that I could in the scenario. And then I go inside and I sit down for a second and I'm like, I have to like think about like how I just handled that situation. And I'm like, oh man, like I put myself in his position. I'm like, this, this kid is, I think he was scared, like genuinely scared. He did not know where he was. It sounds like he might've been lost for quite a while. It's dark. He's in an environment that he doesn't know. It's like a lot of guts just to go knock up on somebody's random door just to figure out where he's going. And so like, that was like in the moment thinking like, oh, I, I should have been better like at this social awareness and particularly in that relationship management that I like didn't just send him on. Um, and so I do the right thing then and I get in the car and I'm like, I need, I need to at least make sure that he gets back okay. Um, so I knew where he was going. So I had that direction um, and I didn't see him initially, um, but I saw a couple of cop cars swirling around and I was like, oh no. <laughs> and Turns out like the person that he was helping out had ended up calling the cops because he must have been gone for a while. So I swing around to where I know where he's going. He's outside. He had made it back safe. He was with the person he was with. The cops were talking around. And I like had this moment of like relief that like this turned out much better than it could have because like I'm clearly the only person that helped him. So I did like a good thing. I gave him the directions. But I like I could have in the moment, like been a little more socially aware and in tune more with myself as well. Like I'm on the defensive right now, but maybe I need to let that guard up so that I can help calm him down a little bit more so that he can get back to where he needs to be. Um, but all's well that ends well. I got to say hello to him and make sure that he was back and and all that as well. But that's kind of a, a, a really recent example, I think, too, of a way that I could have flexed that e, EI muscle a little bit more. Yeah, that's a, gr a great example. I think in that example, you really illustrated how interconnected these different EQ skills are. Uh, so we're, we're, we're oscillating between that personal and social competence and changing our mind. And, and again, just a great example to highlight the complexities of emotion in the moment, especially as you add more people and more suspense uh, to, to what's happening as well. I like that. Again, anybody who knows me knows that I am not very succinct in storytelling. So <laughs> thanks for bearing with me uh, through that long-winded example. But um, I thought it was important and it was something that I recognized like 
and it's kind of speaking back to your original point of like, it may not happen in the moment, but if we can learn from it, now I know the next time, like, I'm, I may be defensive in this scenario. What do I need to do so that I don't come off that way and I make sure that they get what they need um, and deserve and make sure they're safe and that sort of thing too. So kind of along that vein then, how do we improve our emotional intelligence? Um, let's start with that at individual level. What are some ways that we can hone those skills? My team uses a, a tool from the Talent Smart Group. I've talked about this tool a couple of times in our time together. Uh, it's a book called Emotional Intelligence 2.0. As I said, I've used this tool personally for my development. One thing that I really enjoyed about it was that there's an option to retake the assessment to see how your skills have changed following a development period. So one of the big things that I recommend is get your baseline identify what your baseline is. And if you're not able to take an assessment, take an inventory of some of the skills that maybe you see, hey, I, I really want to get better in that. Um, but get a baseline for what your skills look like. And as I mentioned earlier, the Talent Smart Group recommends choosing one skill at a time and, and not really trying to do it all, the kitchen sink approach, because a lot of times if we try to do too much in development, it can be really overwhelming when we're not seeing progress in one area or another. So choosing that one skill at a time and then having those sp specific parameters and strategies planned out to guide you through development is going to be really critical. In my development journey, as I've mentioned already, I chose to focus on self-awareness based on my assessment score. And I spent six months implementing a variety of strategies and I, I saw improvement in the data and practice. Uh, a couple of my, my favorite strategies that helped me to develop my self-awareness were uh, the body scan and emotional identification. And I used some of the resources in that Emotional Intelligence 2.0 book. I also used some of the resources that we have from our health and wellness group as well. Uh, Koru Mindfulness was a game changer here, especially with that body scan technique. Uh, but body scan, emotional identification were really helpful for me. I was uh, shocked <laughs> to discover that when therapists and psychologists they recommend, hey, feel your emotions. They mean this literally. Uh, I, th that was a revelation for me. Shock and awe. Uh, they mean this li literally uh, because emotion shows up in our body in different ways and finding out how and why is challenging. So what I often do is take deep breaths and scan my body to notice how I'm feeling. So uh, for example, I know now that when I feel sadness, there's often a heaviness in my chest a knot in my throat and emptiness in my stomach. When I start to feel these things now, I can make a decision about how to manage them. When this emotion is at high intensity, I usually opt for a change of scenery, uh, some stretching or some yoga. But before I learned these skills, I would often intellectualize my feelings and they would inevitably become bigger than I could manage, which could be quite disruptive. So development's going to look different for different folks, but know that there are strategies and things that you can do to build any number of these skills that are associated with EQ. Yeah. In the show notes, I'll link a body scan meditation as well from Jackie Carroll. Um, that's definitely something that I can add in that it can be an extra tool in your toolbox. Um, but you also kind of mentioned that like 
thinking and the rumination that goes on when it comes to emotions. Um, if we, we go and feel them and understand them, um, we can better address them rather than like just kind of continually thinking about them. And you're not really going to outthink your emotions um, because a lot of them are, are, are natural responses that you're going to have to say a stressful situation or something like that. Um, so it's really about like, how do we, how do we live with these? How do we change our relationship with these rather than like, how do we stop these? Um, or how do we like, how do I, how do I just think this through so that it, it doesn't happen again? Um, because they're going to happen. <laughs> they're emotions. You don't, you don't, you don't stop them. That's not how it works. <laughs> and we've talked about that before. Um, so I think that was a kind of a, a key personal example that you gave there too. Um, so what about like collectively, how do we like as a group say of coworkers develop and work on emotional intelligence together? EQ training and action planning as a group can be helpful in team settings. I've worked with a lot of groups to do that. So again, specifically having your eyes on EQ skills and training and working together to plan what that looks like for you as a group, really helpful. Also, using personality assessments for team building can be a great complement to EQ work. Uh, many times, our awareness of team members can be bolstered by the knowledge of who our coworkers are. So having data that shows our hardwired preferences or the talent that we have naturally uh, can be very helpful for boosting our social competence and, and team dynamics in general. Uh, for example, the personality difference of introversion versus extroversion in Myers-Briggs may dictate our approach to um, how we prepare for a meeting, as an example. Uh, the extroverts on our team, they may want a lively discussion during the meeting, while our introverts may need time for individual reflection before that meeting even starts. As an introvert, I've had some negative experiences of my own. For, for example, I may be hesitant to speak up about an idea in front of other people when I haven't had enough time to reflect individually. A small event like this can lead to big emotions. So just the act of, of not being heard, not having enough time to think, and then choosing not to speak in a meeting can, as I said, lead to some negative um, emotions or just kind of emotions that, that you feel maybe ha have a negative connotation. I don't really want to label those emotions, but they're big nonetheless. Feeling unheard or undervalued can cause anger, sadness, you name it. All that to say that the EQ is just one piece of the puzzle and a lot of professional development is layered and buildable. So if leaders are interested in working with their team to boost EQ, I'm always happy to consult with them to identify an approach that works for them and their unique needs and goals. Yeah, kind of speaking about the layering, I mean, I think that's how that's how our emotions are as well. They're very layered. Um, and I actually heard an interview with Brene Brown recently where she was talking about this and she's saying that like emotions come in layers and it's really, really hard to read them in other people. So it's really what she advised was that it's best to get curious and connect deeply rather than diminish or question or challenge um, and I think that when we're thinking about like, how do we, how do we do this with others? Um, and how do we, how do we get to that relationship management piece? Um, I think that's a really key thing to think about too. And like thinking about your own experiences with emotion um, and, and the way that they are layered. And I'm, I'll make a terrible pop culture reference because I always have to do that in an episode. It seems like um, I, th I think about, Sh I think about Shrek and he's like, 
ogres we're like onions we have layers <laughs> and uh, that's how our emotions are as well like they're they're very layered and they're nuanced um and they're very individualized as well so the way that like sadness shows up for you may not show up the same way for somebody else um and so i, I think that's where that curiosity and that deep connection um is really important if you want to move forward with emotional intelligence together that, that's a great example, Jacob. And interestingly enough, I've used that clip from Shrek to explain <laughs> interpersonal communication and how layered people are in terms of when we get to know them and, and that sort of thing. But I really like th where you landed in terms of asking questions. And, and one of the notes that I, I had to talk about today was don't assume that a particular behavior you've observed means something specific. Ask questions the way you feel about certain situations and how you act on those emotions can vary by person. Assume the best and ask questions about the rest is the biggest advice that I can share. Yeah, that's great advice. I like that a lot. So kind of thinking about diving deeper, um, you've mentioned some resources already. Are there any that you haven't mentioned that you think are particularly useful? Yeah, so there's a lot of, of work out there of, about emotional intelligence in general. I've mentioned a couple of resources a few times that we use a lot. Uh, one of the uh, best compilations that I've seen uh, is, is Harvard Business Reviews. their 10 must-reads on emotional intelligence. Uh, they have several work uh, pieces of work from Daniel Goleman, who is one of the original theorists there. So if you want that deeper level understanding, a, a, a more in-depth explication of what those skills are and what they look like, that's a really great place to start. There's also a, a, a TED Talk compilation that is uh, on positivepsychology.com that I really like like. And the thing about that resource specifically is that there are a collection of people who are talking about emotional intelligence. And in those talks, you can see how differently they showcase those emotions as well, too. So it's kind of meta in a way that you're able to hear about what emotional intelligence is, how it shows up, kind of strategies around it, but to also see kind of the emotional intelligence of that person show through as you watch those talks is pretty cool as well. And then what about diving deeper with training and development? We've got lots of great options uh, within training and development. We've got a couple of great classes that focus on EQ and some of those related skills. Um, we have our Emotional Intelligence 2.0. Uh, that class is named after the book that we use to, to support that content. We also have a class called Building Professional Relationships. And we've not talked about it a lot in our, our time today, but a lot of emotional intelligence uh, is is really showing up in those places where we're setting our boundaries, where we are describing our expectations. And that class digs in deep to what our boundaries are, how we communicate those boundaries, how sometimes when we don't communicate boundaries, they turn into unspoken expectations. Uh, so lots to talk about in that building professional relationships class, along with the roles that we play uh, in, in the workplace. And in addition to that, if any uh, individual team member or leader is interested in some of the skills that we've talked about today, anybody in our professional development area can meet with you and consult with you to really think about what your needs and goals are and what types of training that we can tailor for you to help boost some of these skills uh, in, in your work area. Great. I'll link all of those in the show notes as well, or at least how to access those. 
All right, so I got my fun question for you as well. Um, so we have our wildly resilient playlist um, still continuing to grow on Spotify. It's extremely eclectic, so I'm excited to hear what your go-to song for personal resilience is. So are explicit lyrics allowed? Do we have like a filter that we can like set it on clean? <laughs> Dep- depends on how explicit or if I can find a clean version of it. There may be a clean version of this. And I, I racked my brain trying to think of a, a, a personal resilience song because I have so many, Jacob, as, as we've talked about, I've been into exercise and fitness for a really long time. So those go-to songs that really get your blood flowing, that really help you to, to keep getting up even after you failed, uh, there, there's so many examples. But I'd have to, to say uh, the song Get Up 10 by Cardi B. Uh, that that's, that's one of my favorite songs. Her life story is an exemplar of resilience. And these emotions definitely come out in this song. Uh, but, but I, I really, I really enjoy that song. Uh, my weightlifting coach and I have joked that that might be my walkout song, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but I've said, Hey, the tempo's too slow. I, I need something a little bit more fast paced for my walkout song. But I, I really like the, the message of, of that song in that, you know, it doesn't really matter how many times you get knocked down. Um, you have the power and you have the skills to, to keep going and keep moving. Well, we had Beyonce on the last episode and now we got Cardi B on this one. So we've got, nice. the, we've got the females taking over now. Uh, I, I love to see the representation of folks who identify as women in music, uh, especially the, these stories. So much emotion uh, baked into a lot of Cardi B songs and Beyonce. I can see why, why she made the list as well. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. All right. So last word, what's the one thing you hope that listeners take away from this conversation? Yeah, I, I think that the the biggest thing is, is something that, that you mentioned as you were reflecting on some of the other conversations that you've had on the show in that emotions are not good or bad. Emotions are not positive or negative. They just are. Working to become more aware of your emotions and what they're trying to show you is one of the best things that you can do in your development. A streamlined awareness and a working knowledge of how your emotions operate is a powerful tool for you both personally and professionally. So pay attention and, and listen as you start to feel some of those emotions. That's great. I really appreciate that and appreciate you coming on and sharing knowledge about emotional intelligence and giving some of your personal examples and that type of thing too. So thank you so much. Um, and we'll hope to maybe have you back on the show in the future too. Thank you so much. I'd be happy to come back. Thank you. That's it for this episode. I encourage you to dive a little deeper into your own emotional intelligence to discover which of the four core skills may need the most attention. From there, you can begin identifying strategies to improve it. You can find links in the show notes to any of the resources we discussed. As always, you'll also find a link to the HR calendar where you can browse any upcoming work life and well-being events from University of Kentucky Human Resources. Until next time, take care of yourself and others and stay well. Thanks for listening to Becoming Wildly Resilient, a podcast series from University of Kentucky Human Resources, Health and Wellness. The UK HR Health and Wellness team, consisting of certified health coaches, fitness experts, registered dietitians, and wellness specialists, offer a wide range of online and in-person programming to University of Kentucky employees, retirees, and their spouses. 
If you enjoyed this episode, you can listen and subscribe to future episodes wherever you find your podcasts. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching at UKY Wellness. There, you'll find links to episode show notes and more. You can also email healthandwellness at uky.edu with any questions or suggestions for future episode topics. To learn more about well-being benefits offered by University of Kentucky Human Resources, visit www.uky.edu slash hr slash well-being. Live well.